0: So this is the last message in this series today, and we are going to be looking at Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's a famous passage of scripture. Uh, it's uh, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It is often quoted. And uh, so if you want to turn there, if you want to borrow a Bible from us, uh, we've got some outside of the doors, or you can look on the uh, YouVersion Bible app, which I highly recommend that you get that on your phone. But here we are today, starting in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, most of this message uh, that we're going to go through today, uh, I, I worked, worked it out and worked over it in New York City this week. I have a friend, David, and uh, we did ministry together in Michigan for over a decade. And he's the kind of friend that, like, he'll call and say, dude, you and me, we're going to New York. Yeah, you can't say no. You want to be there. And I go, absolutely, let's do it. So I spent a week in New York City on Wednesday night with David. It was, that was a joke. You get that? You see how that happens? There's, there's a lot to do in, in New York City. It was fantastic. Uh, and, and here's some of the photos from that. Now, we did a, a bajillion things, but these two experiences really stood out to me. Uh, we went to one thing that was called uh, The Lost Supper at the McKittrick Hotel. It's a pre-World War II hotel. It was shut down. They reopened it, and they have this immersive, participatory, musical, theatrical experience. We felt super special. Uh, like every every day, detail was just so amazing about this thing. It was awe-inspiring. And then the other thing that we went to that was a highlight for me was at the Met, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And it's, it's an installment that they have there right now that is called Heavenly Bodies, Fashion, and the Catholic Imagination. And some of the things that you're seeing up there have not been out of the Vatican ever. Like, so it was fascinating and, and, and such a beautiful experience. Now, one of the things that I've always appreciated about art, and especially in light of, like, Catholic theology, is that uh, Catholic theology says that, uh, that nature, that humans... That art are all beautiful in and of themselves, things that we enjoy, but they, they have this other level to them because nature and humans and art, in these cases, are, are signposts to God. And that, that was really going through my head as we were experiencing all of those things this week. And I came away with, with two huge things for me from these experiences. Number one, what are we doing what am I doing? What are we doing to prepare for, to uh, invite into, uh, to engage with, uh, to treat well as many people as possible? Like that, that was a big deal. And, and then number two is as I came away from these things, I thought, you know what, these were, it was a great escape for me to go to New York, to go to New York City, to be immersed in this fantastic, great escape from the reality of life. But as I, as I read through the passages that we're going to look at today, I see that, that um, those things are great, you know, when they're imaginative and participatory. That's, that's all great. Art is, art is beautiful um, and, and sometimes even redemptive. But uh, at its best, it's just a signpost uh, to God. And I think that Jesus is inviting us into a deeper reality, not an escape from the current one. That's different. So life with Jesus is not about escape. It's about, it's about this position. It's about this perspective. It's about this, this kingdom life that he invites us into uh, in kind of the middle of the hustle and bustle and the noise and the, and the stress and the storms of life. Right? He's inviting us into something amazing. So chapter 5 of Matthew is going to begin the Sermon on the Mount with a section uh, that we refer to as the Beatitudes, which is a fun little word. It comes from the Latin, which means blessed. And that makes sense because all of these statements in the beginning of Jesus' sermon start with blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And he goes on. And we're going to talk about those three three things in in detail uh, together today. Uh, But the Greek nuance uh, the little special thing about the greek word that's translated blessed here really has this sense like blessed works but but it has a sense of being fortunate and i i love that now some translations uh, of scripture say happy happy are the poor in spirit i think happy kind of misses it because happy is fleeting happy changes like from minute to minute. Like it does for me. I don't know if it does for you. Like I woke up this morning so happy. It was great. And I went and I started up my Harley. I was so happy. And I drove it into the shared driveway with our neighbors and the neighbor's kid's car was parked in the middle of the shared driveway that I had to get out of. Not happy anymore. Like it it changed just like that, right? Like, so happy, not happy. Work around the car, get on the road, wind in my face, happy again. Ha- happy is fleeting. But, but blessed, but fortunate, no, that's different. Now, this is not a list of things here that we're going to look at that Jesus is saying. I'm, I'm looking around the world, and when I find somebody who's poor in spirit, man, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do great things for that people. That's not how it's happening. Jesus is saying, these things that I'm about to talk about. And these things I'm inviting you into. If you live this, if you immerse yourself in this, then inherent in this lifestyle is this fortune that you never thought you would experience. Now, so now it starts to make sense when I look at this in this way. Jesus is inviting us, he's inviting his followers to participate with him in a new life and a new way of doing things, and, and something that's global and fabric, and it's this movement of grace. It's not static. It's not exclusive. It's not legalistic. And the way of this, this new way of life, this kingdom life with Jesus, starts with the poor in spirit, with the mourners, and the meek. Now, I have to be honest. Like, if I'm putting together sermon, those aren't the things that I usually start with. It, it just seems weird. It's, so, but what I know about Jesus, it, the limited things I know about Jesus at this point in my life, he's always speaking in stereo. He's always speaking in surround sound. He's always saying things that we go, what? We like scratch our head and then we dig a little bit deeper and we're like, oh my gosh, he's saying four things at once. And this is amazing. And this is a mind blower, and so that's, I think, what we're going to see with the poor in spirit, with the mourners and the meek. And then we're going to work our way on through this passage. The Sermon on the Mount is really a sermon about uh, reorientation. And we, we talk about following Jesus, and in, in, uh, we use that term reorientation, uh, meaning that uh, in and around and towards Jesus, our whole life is, is moving that way. And so he's inviting us into this reorientation. Now, the thing that I love about the beginning of this message is that I feel uh, feel happy (laughs) to know, I feel uh, good to know that uh, uh, our our values here that we talk about at Lakeside, uh, I think echo the things that Jesus is going to talk about here. When we say we give ourselves to others, we celebrate life-giving grace, and we love meekness, you'll hear us talk about that all the time. I think that's an echo of the beginning of this sermon and the Beatitudes. So let's jump into it chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus says this, blessed are fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, When Jesus is talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven here, don't think of something otherworldly. Don't think about the place that we go to when we die. Jesus talks about heaven and earth all the time overlapping. He talks about heaven and earth in the same sentence in this kingdom life. He's going to say uh, that we inherit the earth a little bit later. So heaven and earth, he's talking about those things being kind of all woven together in this magical life that he's inviting us into. And he's saying the blessed Are the poor in spirit, for theirs is this, this kingdom, this new way of life. Wow. When I think poor, I think of the things that this word is translated in other ways like crouch and and cower and 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 to feel hopeless. And I go, I don't that that doesn't make me feel fortunate at all, right? I mean, I, I don't like I don't like being poor. Galatians uses this word, the same word here, blessed, and it translates it in the King James Version, which is the one that sounds like Monty Python. It, it translates it as as beggarly. Wow. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there's too much month at the end of the money, but it's not a good feeling. Like, And like growing up, like I remember so many conversations with my dad where it was like, hey, man, I don't know where the next job is coming from, right? I, I'm going to need your help. You're going you're to have to help support the family, you know? And I remember eating beans again. And I remember in our young married life making stupid choices that put us in, in places uh, that we shouldn't have been and feeling like, oh, my gosh, there's no way out of this. Like, we're never going to crawl out of this hole Nobody wants to be there, right? Poor never feels good. What do the poor lack? They, they lack money. <laughs> they lack means. They, they lack a way to get out. But what do the poor in spirit lack then? Well, they lack a way to get out of their spiritually desolate place on their own. Okay, so now we start scratching at what Jesus is getting at here because, because when we realize that our own place of destitution, when we, when we realize that, then we're, we're more free to see everyone else as human and on the same playing field, and we're more free to offer grace and when we're in that kind of a position when we see everyone as the same then this kingdom life starts to make sense now what do the what do the poor in spirit lack they they lack a currency what's what's the currency of heaven it's grace i love that because we talk here about celebrating life giving grace this, this is what we're talking about. Now, when I was a kid and sat on Santa's lap, first thing that Santa would ask me is, were you a good boy this year? Well, I would say yes. I would like to lie through my teeth, but I, I would say yes. Like, I mean, because you wanted the gifts, right? And that's what Santa does. And let's be honest, like, even if I was a little bit bad, I'm still expecting gifts from Santa. I want them under the tree. Like if one year, if Santa said, you know what? You were just a little bit too bad, no gifts for you. I'd be like, Santa's a joke. Like, like, what's wrong with Santa? Everybody gets gifts at Christmas time. Even the bad kids. There's kids that are way worse than me. My brothers, for instance. Grace is the kind of thing that says, were you a good boy this year? Yeah, yeah, not so much. yeah. Well, even in the middle of that, you are going to experience this profound richness and perspective and blessing and fortune. Because grace is the great equalizer of of humankind. (laughs) There is no them with grace. There's no them. Like grace says that we're, we're all... In this together. Grace says, you didn't expect that, did you? Right? It's, it's the kind of return that you just didn't expect. I love that. Now, he goes on. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I don't know if Jesus said these things back to back like rapid fire, but if it came like a like a fire hose, people's minds must have just been spinning. I'm hoping that like he said, like blessed are the poor in spirit. Now discuss, <laughs> you know, and people got to wrap their heads around it because then he gets to blessed are those who mourn. Like just about the time you start wrapping your head around poor in spirit, you go, well, I don't, I don't want to mourn. Like who wants to be sad? And Jesus. Picks this word, this word mourn, it means this, like this deep grief. And he says, if you feel that, then you're going to be comforted. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, partner, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, little Kelly. Everything's going to be good, boy. It's going to be all right. Turn that frown upside down and put on a happy face. Now, that's, that's really bad TV evangelism, but that's, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, we need to understand the depth of our brokenness. And, and when we understand that, only when we understand that are we self-aware enough to see other people with skin on. So comfort comes in the morning because comfort comes in mourning together right and the only way that we mourn together is if we see one another as as the same i love this because um we talk about giving ourselves to others here at, at lakeside a lot and i think that's what that's what we're getting at that's what we believe we're not talking about just doing nice things for people which is great like put groceries in people's car and pick up trash that's nice but but mourn like comfort walk life like do the tough stuff together, snot on one another's shoulders. Right? There, that is a beautiful thing. He goes on. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Again, Jesus, with the things that blow my mind. I don't feel particularly meek at first blush, when I think about meekness, I go, Oh, that's not me. I guess I'm not inheriting the earth. Right? Because at first, at first glance, I think about meekness like, like Dorothy Gale from The Wizard of Oz. Like, you know, standing before the, the great and powerful Oz. And I'm Dorothy, small and meek. <laughs> right? That's not me. No inheriting the earth for moi. I'm more like Dorothy when she smacks the lion on the nose, right? Like, and but then I go, oh wait, maybe that's actually a little bit closer to what we're getting at with with meekness. Like this, you know, she in that in that scene, she's protecting her friends. She's coming alongside. Meekness is is not weakness meekness is, uh, we, we talk about in terms of power under control. It's the kind of thing where we take everything that we have inside of us, and everybody has some degree of influence. Everybody has some degree of power that they wield, and we use all of that to, to lift people up out of the pit. That's that's, that's meekness. I, I, I saw meekness uh, this week in New York City when I was in the Delta Sky Lounge, of all places, and I heard a guy, he had his Bluetooth on, he was staring at the wall. And I realized he was talking to somebody, and then he was talking really loud, and I think the guy's name was Craig that he was talking to, <laughs> if I remember. And he said, he said, Craig, no, 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 listen, listen, Craig, you can't, you can't do that again. Craig, listen to me. I love you. I'm not talking down to you, but listen, you put your life and your family's position in danger. You put my job and the company in danger. I know I'm your boss, Craig, but listen to me. I love you, but you cannot do it. No, 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 no. Craig, Craig, hold on, listen. No, I'm not talking down to you. Listen, I love you. Do you understand that? I want you here. I want you to be part of this, but but Craig, you just can't do that again, and I love you. And I went, oh, that's meekness. That is, that is power under control. He could have said, you're out of here, Craig, right? And maybe Craig will deserve that someday. I don't know, but, <laughs> but meekness isn't weakness. I love this because we say here that we, we love meekness. That's, that's a good thing. Well, I think at this point in the sermon, Jesus goes, okay, I think I've been really blowing their minds, so I'm going to get super practical with them for a second. And he starts to remind his hearers and us about who we are. And he talks about this in verse 13. Uh, He says uh, that you're the salt of the earth. And he goes on, he says, you're the light of the world. Now, don't think about salt in the bad ways, like, oh, I've had too much salt in my diet. Think about it in the good ways, like salt is essential to life, like it's, it's one of the things that we need. Think about it as salt as something that preserves. Think about salt as something that, that brings out the flavor of the food and, and directs attention to the flavor of the food. Think about it that way. And then he says, you're the light of the world. Wow, that's... that's Jesus is saying, I want to I partner with you to, to, what did that song say that we sang? It's something about shadows, you know, like the light breaks through the shadows. It brings things into, it gives us a different perspective. And Jesus is saying, I want to partner with you guys in this new kingdom life to live this way. Salt and light. And then he goes on and, and he starts giving them some instruction. Uh, he says that he, he came as a fulfillment of the law, meaning, listen, all the, all the things that you heard before, the law that you were keeping, that's good. That and what I'm about to tell you. Like everything that you've heard is now going to make sense because of me. Everything that you've heard makes sense on this level and now I'm going to give you something new. For instance, don't murder Oh, good. We're all together on that one. That's fantastic. Yeah, not a good thing. But he says, but also don't hate because hate is the gateway to murder. Like if you look at somebody and you hate them, if you see them as not human, as not deserving of anything, not deserving of breathing again, like you've killed them. Like they don't mean anything to you. That's like, don't be there. And then he says, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, right? Right? We're still together on this one, right? Okay, good. Uh, yeah, don't commit adultery. No, don't do it. You're going to ruin your family. You're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy your kids. You're going to destroy somebody else's life and their kids. Like, don't do that. But also, you know what? Don't look at somebody with lust in your heart. Like, and don't chase down your lust because, look it, we're all one or two bad decisions away from ruining our entire lives. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. He says, you know that eye for an eye thing? Yeah, you know, where like, hey, this guy sucker punches you, so give him the left hook when he's not looking and kick him in the teeth. Like, yeah, that's, that's not good. Actually, what if, you, what if you blew that guy away with grace and love? And he is kind of thinking, where He goes, I wasn't expecting that. What would the world be like? And then he talks about religious like piety, you know. He says, look, if you, if you give a lot of money, don't blab about it. Don't tell everybody. If you, if you like praying, just don't pray all flowery and verbose and let everybody know how cool you are when you pray. Don't do that. It's not good. And then if you're fasting, that's good. If you want to put aside food for a while and you want to focus on me, that's fantastic. But don't walk around, hey, I'm fasting. Can you see it on my face? I'm so hungry. I'm not eating the food that you have because I love the Lord. Like, like, like don't, don't do that. Like, that's not good. So he gets really practical. And, and, then, he, and then he talks about judgment in chapter 7. One, one of the, the greatest passages, and I, I think one of the most misunderstood passages. And in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, he's not saying never have an opinion. Judgment is okay sometimes, right? Like we have a judicial system that we need, whether we think it's working or not all the time, like we, we need a judicial system, like judgment is good in that case. We need judgment to be able to discern right from wrong. We need wisdom, which means that we have to have judgment, Uh, We need to have people in our lives that edit us and, and hold us accountable and people that we invite into our lives and we have a relationship with. And we want them to judge. Like, we want them to be able to look at us and say, hey, that thing inside of you, John? Like, yeah, no, not so much, man. Like, we want those people in our life. But like, if I tell my kid, like, you know, it's time to clean the room, because it's a mess, and they're not doing a good job cleaning the room, and they say, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." No, yeah, no, you can't do that. That doesn't work. Like, there's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of thing again, because we've been talking about seeing people as humans. He's, he's talking about the kind of judgment that says, "You know what? Go to hell." talking about the kind of judgment where we say, you know what? Damn you. That's ugly. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be there. It's so incapacitating. It keeps us from doing the kinds of things in this kingdom life that he's inviting us into. The, the more space, the more head space that we, that we rent out, you know, for, for hate and retribution, then that's, that's less space to be able to receive people into our lives and into this kingdom life. To receive anyone, you know? He doesn't want us there. And receiving people is a big deal. He goes on a little bit later in chapter 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open." This is, this kingdom life, this God life, is one where a father is always receiving and, and always answering and always giving good gifts. He's, he's trying to give us triggers to, to love people all the time. I have a thing called misophonia. Does anybody else have this? Yes? Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, right? Okay, we're in this together. So if you don't, you may have misophonia and you just haven't been diagnosed like us. Uh, di- uh, misophonia means hatred of noise. That's, that's really what it means. Now, I can go to a rock concert. I could go see Foo Fighters and be just pinned up against the stage, loud, blaring guitars, ears bleeding with the volume, people screaming, love, love, love it. That's, that's not the thing. But if I'm at home and the microwave... Beep. 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 If you're within like this distance of me, I might punch you in the neck. Like, I go from zero to, Dear God, please help me, in 0.6 seconds. Like, I. Like, and I've had to understand these things and these triggers in my life like, so I can get a hold of these things because because honestly, it shows up in, in things that I'm not really proud of, like the way people breathe. <laughs> right? The way people swallow, the way people chew. The ringtone that you choose on your phone, like any of those things might make me want to retreat from the room and go into my prayer closet and put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. Like, because... <laughs> Things are not going to go good. I think, I think Jesus, through this entire sermon, is trying to give us kind of a reverse misophonia, like a, a, a way to see and hear things differently, so that our trigger is love. So that our, our trigger is grace. Our, our trigger is a way of responding and loving and inviting people as many people as possible into this life. He goes on. Now, the beginning of this whole thing, you know, started with these beatitudes, the, the blessed, the fortunate piece. And then at the end of chapter 7, it, he bookends this thing with a story about two kinds of houses, two kinds of builders, two kinds of foundations. And we're going to read this. Starting in verse 24 of, of chapter 7, he says, "'Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine "'and puts them into practice,' is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. The book of James says, don't be uh, just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Don't be like a person who looks at themselves in the mirror and turns around and forgets what they look like. That's the same kind of thing that Jesus is doing here. He's saying, remember this, like all of this is super important, and I'm going to drive it home by telling you this story about these houses, these builders, these foundations. Jesus is telling us to prepare and make room to receive as many people as possible through this whole Message. Now, how do we receive people? Where's the place that we receive people? Our houses. Like, houses are hospitality centers. This is great. And so we get this, this fun little twist in this, and we find you know what? God is talking about a, a, a couple things here, or a few things. Jesus, again, talking in stereo and surround sound. It's about heart preparation, and it's about house preparation. N.T. Wright, who's a, a great theologian, highly recommend you, you read his stuff. He says that the, the, hearers, the first hearers of this would have heard something even different, a, a, another nuance, because the word house here is also the word that's used for temple. And not too far from them, there is a temple, a place of worship that is built on a rock in Jerusalem. And so at the same time, when we hear house, we should also hear Church, So it's not just an individual thing. It's a thing that we all hear together. And when our hearts are in the right place, then our houses that we live in and that we worship in are really poised to be in the right place to receive people. When we hear house, we should think how we live and, and where we live and what we live and why we live. I love visiting my old houses, places I used to live, like, growing up, it's super fun. And I, uh, I was born in the Bay Area, so every time I get down to the Bay, I like to go buy old houses. Uh, this up here is a photo of the first house uh, my parents ever bought in Richmond, California. It's not uh, the best neighborhood. I think my parents sold it for $30,000. We looked it up last night. My friend Ian looked it up, and it recently sold for a quarter of a million, which isn't, you know... Amazing. I thought, wow, that looks about the same size of the house that I live in now, which is 920 square feet. And my friend Ian looked it up, and he said, hey, good guess, 917 square feet. Wow. The house I live in right now is like the one that I grew up in. I think that's super fun. Now, when I go back to these old places, uh, the first thing I notice is that they they look smaller to me all the time, right? They look way smaller. And some of them are worn, and you can tell which ones are are well-built and which ones are not. Um, if my life is a house, if, if your life is a house, if this place is a house, don't we want our houses to always be in constant rehab, <laughs> like to also, to always be updated, to always have... Space for people to come in, like if that means that even not only metaphorically but like physically we have to knock out walls and do things differently. If that means that we have to raise money to do things differently, doesn't it make sense that we would do that kind of a thing because we want our houses to be the kind of place, this place and our houses at home and what's going on here inside of us. We want them to be the houses that build memories, and and that stand. And that are well-worn, like in all the good ways. That's what we want our houses to be like. And we want to always be checking the foundation of our house. Why? Because the storms will come. See, he doesn't direct us where to build away from the storms in the story. See, the storms come on both of the houses. Like the foundation is different. Houses are different, but the storm still comes. No home escapes the storms. I used to sing this as a kid, this passage, there was a little song in Sunday school. I don't know if you ever heard it, but it was about the wise man building this house on a rock and had this little thing. The rains came down and the floods came up. Come on. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the... Yeah, the, okay. <laughs> it, it should be in a minor key though, shouldn't it? Because like as an adult, I look back at that and I go, that's not a fun story at all. Like, <laughs> Like, a house getting blown away is not fun at all. But, of course, if we put in a minor key, we would scare kids to death. Hey, little Johnny, there's a storm coming your way, boy. You know, I mean, we're not going to... But the fact is, is like storms are not always good things. I don't don't know what, what storms you're experiencing. We all... My wife is always saying everyone is battling something, which is such a great thing to keep in my head, like... Helps me see people different, you know to just go everyone's battling something. I don't know what storms you have in your life. I could give you a laundry list of, of my storms I'll, t- I'll tell you one of them. Um, my youngest daughter has a couple of diseases that she has fought over the last few years, and she's in a good spot right now, but she's been in spots that are not good they're dark and where it's like. How much money can we spend? How many doctors do we have to talk to to get this thing right? It gets it's bad. I was talking to my friend Tony, who's a doctor, and he said I I was telling him how how I was I was feeling like I was a failure as a dad. You know, I wanted to be strong for her, um, but I felt depleted. And he said, "You know what, man?" He said. Your family is only as strong as your sickest kid. I went, oh. I, in that moment, I felt like he, he gave me permission to, to just go, you know what? Storms come. And there's hope in the middle of the storm. Like the rains come down, the floods come up. But the house on the rock, Man. So we always got to be checking the foundation. So I started thinking about what Tony said in light of Lakeside and what we're doing here as a community of faith. And I thought, you know what? Our church is only as strong as as our willingness to lavish grace on people. Our church is only as strong as our willingness to lay down our lives for people. Our church is only as strong as our willingness to lay down our preferences. Only as strong as our willingness to lay down our rights. Only as strong as our willingness to see people as human only as strong as our willingness to come alongside of people, only as strong as our willingness uh, to love unconditionally, only as strong as our willingness to say, you know what, I've really believed this for a whole long time, but I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and maybe I'm going to have a different perspective on this. Only as strong as our willingness to, with open arms, invite everybody, as many as possible, and to prepare our hearts and this place to receive as many as possible. That's It's as strong as we're going to be. And I think good things are going to happen. I think that that God is inviting us into something that, that is going to be a signpost. It's going to be salt and light. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a different way of living in this kingdom life as we prepare for as many people as possible. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thanks for this invitation. Thanks for these stories. Thank you uh, for the, the comfort and uh, the knowledge that you are always hot on our trail. You're always chasing us down. Uh, you're a, a receiver. You're an answerer. You're a good gift giver. Lord, thanks for being patient and, and pursuing us, Lord. We, we love you very much. And we're grateful to be part of this kingdom life. And we want to experience all the things uh, that you are talking about in this passage. And so, Lord, please continue to give us that kind of perspective as we lean into you. We love you. Amen.